Welcome to season two of the Aging Project podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Craft, and together we're here to uncover and explore the secrets to healthy, fabulous, vibrant aging. We've done the research and we've found the best guests ready to help you flourish at any age. So join me as I ask the big questions, your questions, to some of the world's leading authorities in health, wellness and lifestyle. Think of them as your own support aging mentors, a group of experts that are here to make the little changes turn into a big difference for us. The Aging Project was created to help you age well, to help us all age well together. So welcome to the Aging Project podcast. Today, we're exploring the exciting topic of genetic testing with the amazing Yale Joffe from 3x4 Genetics. Now, before you jump to thinking that sounds complicated or boring even, let me encourage you to stop right there. This conversation blew my mind. In fact, I think I even dropped the F-bomb in there somewhere because I was genuinely blown away by what I was learning. Genetics is an exciting area of medicine and it is mind-blowing the insights a good genetics test can provide us. That is a statement I never imagined myself saying, but it is so true. And let's be clear, we are not talking about ancestry here. I encourage you to listen to this conversation till the end because we discuss specific products and foods that can turn on master genes in our bodies. It's important we understand our genes are not our destiny, nor are chronic diseases like cancer, diabetes, or even Alzheimer's. So grab your pen and paper, because I got a feeling you're going to want to take some notes with this one. Let's get going. Here is our guest today, Yale Joffe. This next topic is definitely complicated. It's one that we have all been yearning to know more about. And I feel that we're at the point of the series where we actually may understand exactly what this is. It's genetics. And don't get freaked out by the terms epigenetics or nutrigenetics. We have a genetics expert on board. I would love to welcome Yal Joffe all the way from Seattle. Thank you so much for your time today, Yal. Thanks, Shelley. Very happy to be here and absolutely will be demystifying what genetics is and we'll promise you we'll make it understandable for everyone. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Well, how did you come across uh, being an expert in the area of genetics? Because I understand you were originally um, an architect student and your life right. took a turn and here you are 30 years later with your own company, um, all about genetic testing. And of course, as you say, being a great educator in the world of genetics. How did you get to where you are today? Yes, so that was quite a journey. So at school, I, I had no interest in science whatsoever. Didn't do physics, didn't do chemistry, did art and history and English. And as you said, when I, I finished school, I went and studied architecture. And then my gran got cancer and she died from cancer. And it was all very sudden and very fast, very aggressive cancer. And I was um, very young, very impressionable. She was my only grandparent. And I was devastated by the lack of answers is the only way to describe it, that no one could explain to me why she got cancer, why she had to die from cancer, why we couldn't treat her, why we couldn't prevent it. And so I remember sitting by her bedside and kind of like, you know, this, I was, this isn't good enough. You know, we can't, I was just so angry and that's the only way to explain it. And I was like, we, we need some answers. So I, 
walked out of architecture, literally, and said, you know, I'm going to find a degree in health. And that was, of course, being extremely naive, because once I started looking, there wasn't such a thing as a degree in health. And this was um, quite a few decades, as you say, many decades ago. Um, now, now it's a little bit better than it used to be, but three decades ago, you could forget finding a degree in health. You know, when I phoned the university and said I want to study health, they sent me to um, home economics, which is great because I can make scones and macaroni <laughs> yeah, not cheese. not quite and, what I was thinking. <laughs> and and, and so, learn to sew a knit so, so, or food science. And no one could kind of tell me how to study health. So I took the closest degree I could find, which was dietetics, which kind of made sense to me, which is that, you know, health had to be about food and about nutrition. So I, I had to go back to university and do do some basic science courses um, and managed to eventually get into dietetics degree. And about three weeks in, was completely horrified. I, I moved away from home to attend this to, to attend uni and I was like, this is this is this is not health. In fact, it was worse than that. Um, our, our lecturer was like recommending chocolate cake and ice cream for a hospital patient. And I was like, had my hand what? up going. Like, how can you give chocolate cake and ice cream to hospital patients? This is in my health degree, right? And they're like, well, it's got protein and calories and fats and calcium. And and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the biggest mistake of my life. Like, this is the anti-health degree. Um, so I was I was quite devastated and I had to make a decision what to do. So I, I decided to stick it out, got my degree in dietetics. Um, but it it didn't change for me. Like I never, it never got better mm. that way. So I kind of came out with this qualification and it was like, I still do not have a single answer that I was looking for around my grand, not a single answer. So I do what most um, South Africans do because I'm South African and Australians is when they finish, um, usually they put a backpack on and they go traveling and um, <laughs> yes. landed up in, yeah, yeah, I landed up in London with all the Aussies and was working at a clinic in Harley Street in London where we were approached by this tiny startup. That's the only way to describe it because there was like one staff member who was the founder, Rosalind Gilgarrison, who was a geneticist. And this is in 2000. So talk about visionary. And she had this idea that we had to study genetics and nutrition and what we ate could be matched to our DNA. And I just come out of a degree on nutrition where not one person had managed, like even thought of the word DNA. But I was like my backpacking phase and I was like, I've got nothing to lose because I hated my degree. I've got no answers. Genetics sounds enticing and interesting. So I jumped in and I said mm -hmm. to her, you know, well, I'll work with you. Um, teach me what you know and I'll do my best. And that was the first nutrition genetic company in the world and we built the first genetic test around nutrition um so i was i was very lucky and just to speed up the story so we get there quicker is that i spent three four years with um sayona the name of the company moved to the states with them and after about three four years i was like you know the geneticists are having all the fun they're the ones that get to decide what the genes are and how the genes work and i'm like the dietitian on the team like exactly what i didn't want to be so I went back to university and I did a PhD in genetics, <laughs> um, as you do. Um, and I was, you know, late, I was, my supervisors were younger than me and um, put it all together and said, you know, this is, 
this is the most exciting stuff. This is the stuff I've been looking for. We're understanding, and we'll talk about it just after the story, the relationship between genetics and nutrition finally gave me the answers I was looking at about why my grand got cancer, what we could have done differently, how we could have managed it better. So it took me a very long time, but that's the story of how I connected with genetics. But amazing that your vision and your path was so strong and there was no swaying you from that, even though there was all those roadblocks along the way of not finding the answers. You are now where you are and able to help millions and millions of us work out, you know, how it is that our genetic code affects how we're going to age. So if you can just describe um, what our genetic code is, obviously our DNA, we've learned so much about that in the last, well, since 2000, Um, obviously that, that blueprint for every person our dna if you'll indulge me i'll just give you the the basics so we we have like a really we everyone on the same page and and understanding so the conversation on genetics is really twofold the first part of the conversation is when we talk about exactly what you said chili about our code but what our code is is a sequence of letters so imagine instead of speaking the language of english we're speaking the language of genetics Instead of having 26 letters in our alphabet, we've only got four, A, G, T, and C. But exactly like any language, when you put letters together, they make words. When you put words together, they make sentences. And we start coming up with some meaning. And when we put sentences together, we can start telling a story. Genetics is no different. What we essentially we do is we put a whole lot of these genetic letters together We join them into words, but these words have only got three letters in each word. And each of these words makes an amino acid. Now, I'm sure most of you know that amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So imagine now we put a whole lot of these words together and we land up with a protein. And proteins are essentially what drive our body. So when you think about enzymes and hormones and brain messengers and anything that makes our body work comes from a protein. So that's how we go from a blueprint, our code, to to creating proteins, enzymes, and hormones to make our body work. But here's the really exciting part of it, is that we're all different. I don't need to tell you that. You all know it. But why are we different? Because at 99.9% in that spelling code, and there are like three to four billion letters in our DNA, in each of us. Our, our spelling is identical. So if you took our, our DNA and laid it out flat and read the spelling, we would be identical 99.9% of the time. But 0.1%, we're going to be different from each other. And 0.1% means we're different at three to four million places in our DNA. Now, what is wow? The so that's magic not just hair color, eye color, height. Correct. It's not height and eye color. It, it is that. And if you do 23andMe, it's whether you're going to have a unibrow or whether your urine's going to smell after asparagus. It's all of that. But it's much more important than that. And the way I and I call these changes, these differences, because all they are is a spelling change. Instead of having a C, you might have a T. Instead of having G, you might have an A. Or where I've got a G, you might be missing a G altogether. We call that a deletion. And what these spelling changes do is they change the way our words are made, which means they change the protein. 
And when we change the protein, we change the way our enzymes and hormones are made. And by doing that, we essentially change who we are and how we respond to the world around us. So this fancy word, nutrigenomics, which is what we use in the scientific literature, is really about responsiveness. Why do I respond to the world differently? Whether it's toxins and molds, whether it's calories and buffet tables, whether it's exercise training or gluten, we all respond differently. And that difference are the spelling changes in our DNA. And the great thing is, since 2000, we can test those spelling changes. And by looking whether you've got the G or the C or the A, what your spelling changes are, we can understand who you are and how you respond. Now, I know I'm talking a lot, but I've only given you half of the conversation. There's another whole conversation on genetics. But before I get into that second part, I thought maybe I'll let you ask more questions before I carry on. <laughs> no, you are a brilliant educator. I'm taking all of this in. So everyone is almost identical, except for the three to four million changes <laughs> that we have in our DNA. And I love that phrase, how do we exist and how do we respond to the world? And that's not an outward, that, that's an inward response. So as you say, whether we have um, an aversion to gluten or whether we respond differently to stress, that is one of those three or four million Correct. different changes within each and every one of us. So that would be spot how on, we Katie. respond Absolutely to certain on. exercise so some of Correct. us would be whether whether we, it, um, high intensity or, or yoga, that's exactly. actually a, a DNA response. Totally. So, so whether I'm more likely to be better at running ultra distance and long distance, or whether I'm better, you know, doing high intensity power-based training, whether I'm more susceptible to getting an Achilles injury or a rotator cuff injury, whether I need more recovery when I train. Um, again, you know, some of us gain weight easily and find it really hard to lose weight. Some of us can eat whatever we want all in those spelling changes. And even though they're three to four million, not all of them are impactful. So not all of them will define that responsiveness. Some of them are what we call silent, but obviously there's enough of them to make us different from each other. And the important thing that you said, not me, is that it's not just how we respond differently to nutrition or to supplements or to exercise. It's um, also to things like stress or trauma or our environment. So you can have two individuals living in a moldy house. One's going to get super ill and one's not, right? And you can, so you can one, see all yeah. this on, on a piece of paper or on a computer. You can see each person's blueprint about yes. how they're going to respond yes. to things as, as, as narrow, as specified as that. That oh, is absolutely. fucking mind-blowing. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. <laughs> so totally. so it's like how you, how you, how you metabolise like um, – Hormones, like every single individual in this world, before they take a contraceptive pill, should understand how they metabolize hormones. Because some of us are really crappy at metabolizing hormones, and we get a buildup of what we call hormone metabolites, which has an impact on cancer risk. We blood clotting. So this is like magical information. And the, the word that I use to sum up the whole thing is insight. We gain insight about who we are, we gain, you know, know yourself, know thyself. We gain self-knowledge about who we are and how we respond to the world around us. Now, the big thing is I spent 15 years of my career studying insight, which is great. 
And then I met this amazing Australian who you have to have on your show. And her name is Dr. Christine Horton, and she's based in Brisbane. And Christine and I were attending a conference in Italy in a little town called Castelmaria di Stabia. And we were at a nutrigenomics conference. We didn't know each other at all. And we were standing in the queue for lunch and everyone was speaking Italian or Spanish or French. And I didn't understand and I was grumpy and I was miserable because the conference was horrible and I'd left my baby at home and paid all this money to come to this conference. And we were standing in this queue and I heard a voice behind me speaking English and not only speaking English, but speaking with this like strong Aussie accent. And I, I turned around and I was like, oh my gosh, you, you've traveled far. And she said, oh, like you have as well. And of course we were the only like <laughs> two English speaking people. So we, so I was like, well, should we have lunch? And in those days, nowadays, when you go to a conference, everything's gluten-free, dairy-free, wheat-free, sugar-free. It's like almost food-free. In those days, we had pasta for, for lunch. And on the lunch table was a bottle of red wine and a bottle of white wine. And Christine and I sat down for lunch. We didn't get up until we'd finished all the wine. And we discovered that we were absolute nutrigenomic soulmates. She had read the book I'd written. She knew about me. And she had been studying this field of genetics that I hadn't been studying. So I had spent 15 years studying genetic variation, spelling changes. And Christine had this amazing understanding, or Dr. Horton, of how the food we eat changes the way our genes switch on and switch off, or what we can call gene expression. No. So we, we always talk about this yin and yang, that everything I knew she didn't, and what she knew I didn't. And we spent the next three days of the conference, we didn't go back to any lectures, we spent the next three days together, drinking wine and eating, and deciding that we were going to build a course to teach practitioners all around the world about this world of genetics, about insight, how you can use genetics to understand who you are. And the other word that was so important was action. Now that I know who I am and how I respond, what can I do? And, and meeting Dr. Horton, Christine, was one of those as you said, you know, you sometimes can reach these roadblocks and then this amazing person steps in. And in my world, it's always been a woman, um, very smart, very clever woman who come into my life who like open up an extraordinary fountain of knowledge that allows me to kind of step in to another door. Unbelievable. So the two of you have created what is now, I, I guess, is it the three by four genetics test? No. Which is so Christine this, doesn't no, build tests. <laughs> so Christine and mm -hmm. I built a, uh, I built a company called Manuka Science, which was an education only company where practitioners could mm -hmm. study uh, genetics. And Christine built half the modules. And for four years, I ran this education company. Um, Christine in Australia means South Africa. And then, um, but Christine never, in fact, Christine, I'm going to do some promotion for her because it's so extraordinary, owns a supplement company called Cell Logic, which produces the best broccoli sprout supplement in the world. And can I tell you, can I tell you, can I jump ahead and tell you why broccoli sprout supplements are so important and why? Please do. So and I've got a funny story okay. for you on broccoli after this. <laughs> okay. So we started talking about um, insight, understand yourself. And then we need to talk about action. So in my 
entire 15 years in genetics, I never studied how I could use nutrition to change genes. Because when you can switch genes on and off, you can truly heal someone or achieve longevity, you know, kind of health span and lifespan, like really, really impact. When you use supplements only to try and fill gaps, you're never going to really impact the body. And epigenetics, this word epigenetics that no one understands, took me 15 years, is this idea of above genetics, which means everything but the code. So when we talk about epigenetics, it's not spelling, it's not sequence code, it's when the environment impacts the way genes switch on and off. And the reason genes switch on and off is to make proteins, which are enzymes and hormones. And so the amazing thing is the real power of nutrition, the, the, when, when they say food is medicine, is really this world of what we call nutrigenomics, actually, which is the ability of nutrition, lifestyle, meditation, cold water immersion, hugging, laughing, all those things will impact how your genes switch on and off. And this is where healing happens. So when I was looking for an answer around my gran, around how did she land up getting cancer? How could we have helped her? The answer was really only closed, that full circle when I understood, A, you could understand who you were by looking at your genes, but B, mm -hmm. you could change the way your genes behaved in your decisions you're making. Because lots of people believe that your genes are your destiny, that this is what you're born with, mm -hmm. and that's it. Tough luck, you know, but that's absolutely not the truth. The genes you're born with give you insight into who you are, but you have an incredible, every single minute of every day that you make a decision, you are changing your genetic beha genes behavior, and that drives you either towards health or away from it. And broccoli, so you can do that very through, long story to get through, from Oh, here we go. Yes. So you can do this through, oh, yeah. through food or, as you were saying before, through meditation, cold immersion, hugs, smiling, laughing. That, that can turn your genes Everything. on and off. Every single thing we do switches on our genes and switches them off. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. So when we mm. meditate, we're switching genes on and off that are protective and helpful. When we expose to radiation or toxins or molds, we are impacting genes in a negative way. So it's not always wonderfully positive, but the point being that every single thing in our world that we choose to have in our environment, and again, it comes down to connection, to a reaching out, to kindness, to meditation, to the kind of exercise we do, to sleep, of course. We are switching on genes on and off all the time, 24-7. And some things that we do choose to have in our life have a very powerful impact on the way genes behave. And one of those is a group broccoli. of vegetables called cruciferous. <laughs> and the, the most famous of them is, is broccoli. And Gosh. broccoli contains a, a substance called glucoraphanin. And when we eat broccoli raw or, uh, or cauliflower or cabbage, an enzyme gets broken down and we, we chew it and creates this very magical compound called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane is so magical that when we consume it, it switches on all our defense genes. So we have this master switch in our body. So you know when you walk into someone's house and they've got a fancy house, and you can switch on one light switch at the front door, and it switches on lights in the whole house? So it's kind of like that. 
when we eat sulforaphane, when we ingest sulforaphane or make sulforaphane, we switch on this master switch in our body, which switches on about 500 genes that are all defense genes. They help us detox. they anti-inflammatory. They decrease oxidative stress. They decrease inflammation. They clear toxins. They're like magical. And that's the story of broccoli sprouts. <laughs> the problem is you've got to eat it raw, right? You've got to eat broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage raw. And that's, that's hard for most people. So Christine has this company where she, she has worked out a system to dehydrate broccoli sprouts, which are much higher in the content of sulforaphane. And literally, you get a capsule with dehydrated broccoli sprouts. But hers are like the best in the world. And she's right in your space. She's in Brisbane. She is. She's just, just down the road, as a matter of fact. You know, it's funny when I was yeah. researching, Yael, uh, to chat to you, and I did read about sulforaphane um, and broccoli. So last night, my girls sat down to a plate of raw broccoli and cauliflower oh, with, with, their, <laughs> with their corned beef. I said, girls, you don't understand how powerful this is. This is going to switch on all of your amazing detoxifying genes. And they looked at me and they went, okay, mum, let's do it. And okay, we all mom. sat there oh, well, and as you say, we chewed and chewed and chewed. <laughs> the question that came up from the nine-year-old was, so is this it for life now? Have we switched them on? Is that the end of the story <laughs> or do I need Sadly to do this not, so. every day? Every day. And it's not easy. And that's the point, you know, well, your kids, my kids are so overhearing about broccoli from me, you can imagine. <laughs> It's not it's not novel for them anymore. So the good thing is it doesn't only have to be broccoli, like any coleslaws with cabbage and, you know, but it is hard. Look, it is hard to eat raw cruciferous vegetables. And so that is why that's there are some supplements. I'm not at like everyone should take a bucket load of supplements, but there are some supplements that really help. And, and getting the right quality sulforaphane is one of them because the reality is to eat two cups of raw vegetables raw cruciferous vegetables a day is pretty tough even for us. But Yal, if that's going to potentially save your life or, or lengthen your life, give you a healthier lifespan, surely it's worth it. I know it's hard, but surely <laughs> if you knew that that was reducing your chances of cancer, like it's a no-brainer, isn't it? <laughs> well, tell you, I mean, we've been telling people to eat vegetables for lifetimes and we still have like an people think that having Heinz tomato soup is a vegetable. So um, absolutely to us, it's very obvious. Um, but I think, I think what's happening is, is the reality is that, you know, the food system is pretty broken. And the idea that, that people will sit down and eat a plate of raw vegetables, I think w there definitely are some that do. And of course, that's what we're working with. And we're, and that's why we work with brilliant practitioners, brilliant health coaches, to try translate it into recipes and meals and smoothies and soups, you know, that, that really help us be able to put it into our diet. And of course, we're picking on broccoli, I always pick on broccoli, but there are lots of other extraordinary vegetables and fruits and foods that contain these magical phytonutrients. You know, we used to think fats, carbohydrates and proteins. Now we know that there are these molecules, these little baby compounds in food, that are truly magical and they're more powerful than pharmaceuticals. And they, and when you eat a food that has got sulforaphane or polyphenols or quercetin in, or, tu, you know, even the turmeric, magical food, 
the way that it works with the body is it works with the body, whereas drugs work against the body. Drugs are like a sledgehammer, right? It doesn't just switch on the genes. It kind of knocks the gene over their head and kind of wipes it out. Whereas food, we say food modulates, whereas like drugs activate. So drugs are like a sledgehammer, um, whereas food and, and, and anything in our environment. So <clears throat> I'm obsessed with cold water. And cold water immersion, which has become very trendy all around the world, is brilliant in terms of switching on genes to get away from our fight or flight. So, you know, we're all running on cortisol and adrenaline and we work too hard and we sleep too little. And we need to be able to, to kind of switch our nervous system to our opposite of fight or flight. And meditation is one of the most powerful ways of doing that. But the reality is not everyone likes to meditate. I don't like to meditate. I probably ADHD. But... I really don't like to meditate. And I was always looking about how to heal my body without meditation. If you can meditate, please do. I'm not saying don't because it is brilliant. It activates your parasympathetic nervous system and takes you out of that cortisol, adrenaline um, kind of um, cycle that we're on. But so does cold water immersion. And I've been a um, cold water ocean swimmer for years. And cold water does a very similar thing. Even if you're just doing a cold shower or a cold plunge, where it switches on the genes to activate it. So it's not just about food and supplements. It's Again, it's about connection. It's about meditation. It's about sleep. It's about uh, the seasons of the year. It's about our relationships. It's, it's amazing. I would suggest that cold water swimming off Cape Town would be much more of a fight and flight situation, wouldn't it? You've got some very big fish down there in your cold water. I can't see anything relaxing or meditative about that at all. No, no, yeah, no, that, that is true. Well, we've got a lot less big fish than you have in Perth. I'd rather swim in Cape Town than swim in Perth. <laughs> There's a lot, some seriously big fish there. But you know, it's actually funny, I never thought about that, but even swimming in cold water, sorry, you would think sorry, to put, be, um, sorry to ruin. Yeah, I know. I have to think. <laughs> and actually, the water is like seriously cold. I mean, you could die from hypothermia. So I might need to rethink. Um, so the recommendation is don't do what I do and go swim in a very dangerous ocean with big waves, currents, and sharks. <laughs> but try find a nice tidal pool that has cold water in. And I know um, Australia's got some of the most beautiful tidal pools I've ever seen in my life. And and go and plunge every day into a nice cold tidal pool. That's probably a bit, bit safer. We do. So, so the whole point is about finding those good behaviours. And they're obviously going to differ from person to person, depending on our genetic makeup. So this is, does it have any relation to um, ancestry or, you know, you can do these DNA tests now which tell you, you know, how many different percentage of, of ancestry you have in you from, from different areas. Does that have anything to do with your genetic code makeup for your susceptibility to disease or food or coffee? Um, is I, there I any relation in the two or are those I, two so yes tests no. completely different things? So, so they, they're very different, but there is a, some relationship. So ancestry is basically going to tell you where you came from. Like where did where was your background? You know, did you come from Eastern Europe or did you come from Asia? Did you come from Africa? And and that's that's really I mean it's nice to know. It's also nice to find cousins and all of that kind of stuff. But it doesn't really um, kind of give you information about what to do for your health. However, genetics. And, and, and what everything you and I have been talking about is about evolutionary biology. And that means that those spelling changes 
happened in our DNA sequence, in our code, because our body was responding to something in our environment. But they happen over large amounts of time. So when we look at these spelling changes, most of them occurred during the time that we were hunter-gatherers on the plains of Africa, trying to hunt a beast. And, and when we couldn't um, get meat, we were picking out roots from the ground. And so a lot of genes have been built around how to survive in that hunter-gatherer phase. But of course, our world isn't a hunter-gatherer phase. We are surrounded by cheap and easy calories, high fructose corn syrup and sugars, um, you know, fats. We are pretty sedentary compared to how we used to be. We have toxins in our environment. So the great, if, if you wanted to understand really what disease was, it's a clash between our ancestral DNA, which has not evolved as quickly as our diet and lifestyle have. And they don't match. So this is why we see so much obesity. And we've seen this perfect example in the Aboriginal community where their DNA was so beautifully, beautifully positioned for them to survive when they were walking across the plains of, of Australia, living off these incredibly low GI berries and roots. And they had one of the best diets, actually, when you, when you break it down. But then they were fed alcohol and sugar and refined carbohydrates. Exactly the same thing happened in South Africa. The same thing happened in Hawaii, in New Zealand with the Maoris. It's a story across the world that they actually had the most perfect diet for their kind of ancestral genetics. And it was destroyed by kind of Western civilization. So even though ancestry tests that you're talking about doesn't relate, the concept of ancestral and where we come from and how our DNA evolved is very pertinent in terms of what we're doing. And what we're trying to do is by understanding that, that DNA and understanding our spelling changes in our code, we're trying to match better our diet and lifestyle so that we don't have this conflict be between the two. So for cultures that have um, evolved longer, further, been around longer, and have had refined um, grains and things as part of our diet for millennia now, um, we are more, we are less susceptible to diseases like um, celiacs and, and things like that because we no, have not been really. exposed <laughs> for longer? No, 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 we're just as sick. We're just as sick. It's just oh. um, we can study better Indigenous populations, but actually we're doing terribly. So, so when you look at obesity, um, um, I, so for my PhD, I looked at obesity in our black, black women and, and white women. It's the same. If you look at obesity in Australia, um, Australian women, okay, I'm going to talk about women because a little bit different from men, and, and South Africa and the USA, it's the same. We all have these ridiculously high rates. I know if you're in Melbourne or Sydney or Perth, it's not so bad. But the moment you leave a big city, it's exactly the same in the United States or in South Africa. So it isn't just that, it's just they, they, they actually were just eating a better diet than us, to be honest, and exercising more. But we as well are suffering from that clash. And that is why we're seeing so much obesity, because our genes most often are clued to consume calories and store fat for most of us, not all of us. And, um, and so we, we have this amazing amount of calories in our life, and we're very good at holding on to them. Whereas there's a few of us who can eat whatever they want and they don't gain weight. But that's actually the minority, right? If you think about it and think of your friends and family, for most of us, 
we are eating too many calories. And so it's not just So would a genetic test there. show that? Absolutely. So we do, we, that's, that's been one of the greatest areas of interest to me is working with weight. And even hunger and appetite is genetic. So you may think that you and I experience being hungry and appetite in the same way, or we eat the same cheeseburger and fries for dinner and we feel the same full, but we don't. So we experience hunger and appetite and fullness completely different. So when someone says to you, I had a burger, but I'm still hungry, and you go, how's it possible that you're still hungry after eating a cheeseburger and fries? And they say, but they are. Traditionally, a dietitian would have turned around and said, you're just greedy, you've got no willpower, you've got no self-control, you know. But actually, the reality is that in some individuals, those spelling changes are making them more hungry than others. So going back to your grandmother and obviously finding out what your genetic code was, uh, I know whenever you go to the GP, they say, what's your family history? So um, my father has had prostate cancer, a heart attack. Um, my uncle died of diabetes. My mum's had a stroke. You know, in my 20s, I was like, no, we've had nothing. No, we're all good. And now it's like, oh, I can <laughs> rattle off all these things that, yeah. that I would see as uh, genetic diseases. Um, would they show up in, in my chain specifically? Or as you said, with your grand, does that mean now that you are more susceptible to cancer because that is in your code? So remember that the most important thing about the diseases that you mentioned, all of them, cardiovascular disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, um, even things like Alzheimer's, they don't happen overnight. Like none of your family woke up in the morning and were, and were sick and the day before they were healthy. All the diseases you mentioned are what we call chronic diseases of lifestyle. They take 20 or 30 or 40 years, which is why you didn't see them when you were 20. But now that you're older, you've got a story to tell. So these chronic diseases happen because over time, we are making diet and lifestyle decisions, which are clashing with our DNA. And over time, we land up with what we call um, dysfunction in our bodies, which means that we're not functioning optimally, which will land up being a condition like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. But that's really down the road. So when we look at things like cancer, um, um, diabetes, they actually kind of start off in similar areas, whether it's inflammation or detoxification. And over the years, we make decisions on the food we eat or whether we take hormones, whether we take HRT, that will manifest as a disease. But I, so I can look at a report of mine and I may have some traits that mean that I'm not really good at detoxifying hormones. And maybe my grandmother was taking a lot of hormones in her life, couldn't detoxify them. And over her life, she got cancer when she was 60. Um, she was, you know, she, she ended up getting cancer. So the most important thing to remember is that we don't have a susceptibility to cancer. We have a genetic susceptibility to how our body functions optimally. And we can always optimize that the choices that we make. And if we always we continue over decades to make poor choices between that don't match our DNA or kind of compensate for our, our spelling changes, we can land up with a disease like cancer. But genetics isn't about saying you have a risk for cancer. It's about saying your body needs these kind of nutrients to optimize its function so that in 20 years' time you don't get cancer. And we're back to broccoli, aren't we? 
Back to broccoli. <laughs> so what about Can't get away uh, from the, broccoli. <laughs> the Baraka gene is one that we hear so much about now and I'm assuming that is because it is a, a medical revelation or a genetic revelation that we can isolate that particular gene. Um, would that be correct in saying think, that, you know, if we, we hear had, about it. We actually hear about it because Angelina Jolie had it. That's why we hear about it. Like she made it famous. She was on every Newsweek and every like times, you know. So so let me explain. The BRCA gene or BRCA1 and 2 is a spelling change. It's all it is. It's just a spelling change. But some spelling changes are more powerful or more impactful than other spelling changes. So the BRCA1 is a more powerful spelling change. And it changes the way our body responds to cancer cells. And so this is the kind of gene I don't actually test because I like to test genes where the, the gene spelling change isn't so powerful, but the diet, the nutrition, the lifestyle are very powerful. With BRCA, the gene is quite powerful, not totally. So if you have a test and they find that you've got the spelling change for BRCA, it does not mean you're going to get breast cancer. It means that your chances of getting breast cancer are more than the person next to you who doesn't have it, but you still have a huge amount you can do with your diet and your lifestyle to delay or prevent that BRCA gene from expressing itself, from it switching on. We want to keep the BRCA gene switched off. So knowledge is power. So often people say, you know, should I know? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. And I'm saying with genetics, you don't know what you don't know. And if you know, you can make better choices. And even with the BRCA gene, which is a more powerful gene, they, they say that between 40 to 80% of people will get breast cancer if they have the BRCA gene. So if you have the BRCA gene and, you only, and, and your chances of getting only 40%, that's extremely low. There's 60% of the things that you can do in your life to stop you from getting breast cancer, if you know. So BRCA, we only test if there's a lot of breast cancer in the family, if, the, if our, our family members get cancer very, very young, then we test BRCA. Otherwise, it's not BRCA. 95% of breast cancer is not um, rare genetic disorders. It's actually all the other stuff we spoke about. It's the stuff with broccoli and detox information and hormones, 95%. And only a small percent will be about the BRCA conversation. But obviously, it's more dramatic, so it gets really good media press. Well, your phrase, you don't know what you don't know, is, is awesome. It sums it all up, doesn't it? So to actually have that, that blueprint for yourself, like you would give the gift of, I don't know, your moons or your horoscope, uh, which gives you an understanding of your personality and things that you like and you don't like, this is pure science there. How digestible uh, is it for the average person if they were to have a genetic test? Does, does it need to be um, deciphered by a clinic or your GP? How do we go about actually extracting the information that we need uh, to be able to change our diet or our exercise patterns? A super quick pause in our conversation. Have you heard the news? The Aging Project has a sister platform called You Must Try It. It's come about because, like you, we want to age well, but that means knowing which products or brands to buy. And let's face it, with so many products on the market, it's becoming harder to choose. So, with the guidance of our in-house wellness team, we are doing the research for you. You'll only find tried 
tested and loved products on youmusttryit.com. So if that's of any interest, go and sign up. We'd love you to join us. Okay, let's get back to our chat. So this has been one of the problems in the industry for the last two decades is that you really do need someone who's trained in genetics to translate it for you. And you need to work with a genetic testing company who creates a report that is very understandable, translatable, and offers some real recommendations. I always say, if you don't know what to eat for breakfast in the morning, then you have paid for data and you have had no value from your genetics. The problem is that there are hundreds of genetic tests in the marketplace, and most of them are awful. And that's the reality. They're awful. They look like a blood test, you know, like a cholesterol test. And they offer very little value to you. So that has been my mission for the last five years is to build a company, which is my current company, 3X4 Genetics, to really create a different way of engaging with genetics. We use color, we use pictures, infographics, and storytelling to make sure that you can really engage. And then we spend a huge amount of time educating, mentoring, and handholding practitioners, whether it's a, a medical doctor or dietitian or a naturopath or a dentist or a psychiatrist, on how to integrate genetics into your practice. Because genetics by itself is not an answer. If genetics is half the answer, there's still another 50%. So you can't take a genetic test and say that all the answers in there, they're not. They're the missing piece of the puzzle, but they're still part of something bigger. And that's why I'm such a fan of working with uh, practitioners, training and educating them and letting them be the educators of the individual to work out who they are, how they respond, and then what are the decisions that they're going to make in their life that is going to optimize their DNA. And so unfortunately, 3X4 uh, Genetics is not available in Australia at the moment. Um, <gasps> sad to say. I'm so sorry. Because um, oh, we are. No. Um, yeah, it's only at the moment in the USA and in South Africa. Uh, because we really have really done things differently. I mean, we really have, uh, I'll, I'm happy to email you a copy of the report, shows you how we draw these beautiful um, pictures and every every person's report has different pictures depending on their results. So the image changes. I did download the, uh, I downloaded oh, did the example oh, okay, report so that it. you had okay. and it is fabulous. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of pages yeah. at the ends with lot, lots of data that I didn't understand. That's for the clinician. But that's the simple. The end is for the clinician, yeah. Yeah, that. That's right, but just that simple. You are, you know, you are exposed to this. You need to think about that. Yeah. Uh, it was so well put together. It was so easy to to read and understand. So I would suggest we just wait until uh, that is available here for us in Australia. It, it'll get there. And then the things like you. <laughs> Look, you do have yeah. some companies in Australia. You you do have some companies in Australia that that are pretty decent, but we really have turn genetics on its head by trying to create a product that really adds value to your life, you know, and, and that has been my mission for the last four, five years. Well, it seems completely well worth waiting for. Uh, there's no point heading off on your blood group diet or Ayurvedic diet or no. your keto, paleo, no. intermittent fasting until you actually have this information because you may not be doing yourself any good at all I'm sure you're not doing yourself harm by by following one of those uh those programs but you may not be you know you're cutting out (laughs) things that yeah cutting out things that you don't need to cut out exactly and there's there's no one right diet for everyone so when you see paleo you see keto always remember uh, intermittent fasting any of these things vegan 
There is no one right diet for everyone. It's about understanding who you are. Mm. I love there was a description in there that your body or the internal workings of your body are like an underground railway and there's a thousand trains and paths going in different directions. And if there's chaos on even one of those uh, those paths or one of those lines, that is going to filter back and, and affect the entire workings of that underground train line. And I just thought that was such a beautiful example of where something in your system can go a little bit wrong, it is going to filter through and affect everything else. And to be That's able right. to get your hands on something that tells you exactly who you are and what you're about, I think that is just... That's knowledge. That's pure knowledge. That is where science is going to um, come into all of our own hands and be that accessible for us, which is extraordinary. So, y'all, keep up the good work. Don't stop. Don't stop at the US. I'm not stopping. (laughs) No, no, we won't. We won't. We won't. But the US is quite big and we just want to make sure we're doing everything properly and to the best we can before we spread ourselves too thin but we will definitely get to Australia and and my sister lives in Australia and she'll never forgive me if we don't get there so we will get there. So in the meantime we stick to our leafy greens uh, because at least we know that is doing us good whether we're susceptible or not. don't have to torture our children with raw broccoli every day for the rest of their lives uh, to switch those genes off and keep them off. Yeah. In the meantime, stick with the broccoli, the vegetables. You can't go wrong with vegetables. It's, you know, and, and your and some and your beautiful fruits, you know, with lots of different colours and you know, there's just there are some good basic principles, but you know, the there are other genetic tests out of there. I mean, I think ours is the best, but there are some other genetic tests. Just make sure that if you do do it, you work with a professional who knows what they're doing. That's the only thing I would say. Yal, thank you so much for your time today. It was extraordinary to be able to explore genetics in a really digestible way. You are an excellent educator and obviously, you know, an incredible scientist um, as well. And we thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Shelley. Thanks for inviting me. Thank goodness for trailblazers like Yale, right? A woman so committed to understanding the story of her beloved grandmother that she never gave up looking for answers. She started as an architect and decades later, she's a world-renowned leader in genetics with her own testing company. I think we've all become more intelligent just by talking to her today. Terms like epigenetics, nutrigenetics, sulforaphane, I hope I said that one right, This is super exciting and my own genetics test is something I'm really keen to do when 3x4 comes to Australia. This is really powerful information. Until then, I'm even more committed to my cruciferous vegetables like raw broccoli and getting my hands on the Cell Logic product that Yale mentioned and it's made right here in Australia. It's also reinforced how important my new daily meditation practice is and that it's definitely not... If you found today's episode useful, and look, how could you not? I encourage you to share it with five people that you love. Thank you so much for joining me. There is so much for us to learn and so many passionate educators like Yale who really, really want to help us. So we are digging deep for our next guest. And until next time, I'm Shelley Craft. I'm so grateful to be hosting us on this Aging Well journey. I'll see you soon. If you heard about a product in today's conversation that interests you, rest assured we're researching it and making a decision on stocking it in our sister platform, You Must Try It. So make sure you sign up at youmusttryit.com to join us. The more the merrier. The Aging Project is brought to you by Polystudio. They're our go-to team for all things podcasting.